All right, good evening, everybody. Let's pray before we get started. Uh, John McBride's at the um, City Council Forum tonight and answering questions. That's been going on since 7 o'clock, so he asked for prayer. We've been praying for him, but thought we'd better do it together as well. Lord, we lift up John to you and um, all the other conservative candidates that are up there, and uh, we pray that you give them wisdom, give them the words to speak, and give them a peace in their heart, knowing that what they believe and what they stand for is true and right, and um, that they be confident in that and in you. So Lord, bless them, and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Tonight, uh, we are in Matthew 13, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. Parables. Jesus begins to teach the people in parables. Now, he wasn't doing that before. But now he is, and there's a reason for it. It's kind of a, a deeper of one of these theological things that we'll get into, and I'll give you the, the basics of it first. Um, not that I'm going to get any deeper than the basics, but just so that before we start reading, you understand what's happening. Uh, anytime there's an unbeliever that hears the word of the Lord or begins to be uh, lured or prompted or pulled by the Holy Spirit, they have to first believe. And then, once they believe the things that are happening, or the, the, the things that Jesus said, they begin to understand after they believe. Okay, and that's a common theme, um, and we'll hit on a few scriptures that, that hit on that. Um, but that is what the parables are about. The parables are understood by those who believe Jesus is who he says he is. Um, those who seek the Lord are, uh, must first believe that he is, Right? You don't seek something that you don't believe exists. So that's what's happening here. The disciples are saying, now, why are you teaching in parables? That's their question about mm, three or four paragraphs in. And he says, it's because of this. You guys have ears to hear. You have eyes to see. And you have understanding. And it's for you. Um, for those that don't, in other words, there are groups in these groups of 5,000, 3,000 multitudes that are following Jesus Many of them aren't disciples of Jesus. They're followers in the, probably the truest sense of the word. They're just walking around behind the show. You know, oh, look, another magic trick from um, Jesus. You know, whoever this guy is. You know, look, he healed some guy. They're just there for the, for the action. They don't necessarily believe what he says about himself, that he is God come in the flesh. So that's where we start off tonight. In verse 1, on the same day Jesus went out of the house, remember he was in the house, they said your mom and dad, and, or your mom and your, and your brothers and your sisters are outside, he says, who are my mother and my brothers except for those that are obey, obeying me, basically. So he goes back outside, uh, out of the house, and sat by the sea, and a great multitude, and, and great multitudes were gathered together to him, so that he got into a boat and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. Now, the picture here is obviously he's being pressed and thrown. And if you've got people right in your face, the back row can't hear you, obviously. And so, um, in one of the Gospels, we see that Jesus gets into a boat, and Peter kind of pushes him out, oh, you know, waist deep, and kind of holds the boat still. So that Jesus is standing on this boat, or sitting in this boat at, the, at this time, and the water acts like a natural amplifier, and the people are hearing on the side of the hill. And if you ever get to go to the Sea of Galilee, you'll see uh, and understand it's, it's a natural amphitheater there. So uh, everything is up from the Sea of Galilee. So if you're in the water and you're speaking, you can, the whole crowd can hear, okay? And you really don't even have to, you don't have to speak more than, uh, louder than what I'm saying things right now. 
if you want an example of it, have one of your friends go clear out to the other side of the soccer field or something here and have them stand against this back wall of the building and you can literally talk like this and hear people on the, on the other side of the soccer field, just the way it's amplified, okay? So you get the picture here. I got a lot of people that they all want to hear and so he gets into this boat and he sits and the whole multitude stands and that's just a typical way that the teacher would teach in the Old Testament. It isn't like this now, is it? I, I stand and you sit. Well, I might reverse that one of these days. Make you guys stand for an hour and a half. It's not going to be an hour and a half. I was just... Um, but that's how it was. The rabbi would sit, the people would stand, and they would listen. And so that's where we, that's where we are now. Then he spoke many things to them in parables. And he goes through a lot of parables here, a lot of stories. He says, Behold, the sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, you'll hear that phrase a lot as you go through the parables. Anybody that can hear this, and I don't mean just like I got the audio file into my you know, ear canal. They mean, if you get it, get it and believe it, basically. And you'll, you'll see that in the seven letters to the churches in the book of Revelation, chapters 2 and 3. He who has ears to hear. Now, this is to the churches. These letters are written by Jesus to the churches in the book of Revelation. He who has ears to hear suggests that some can't or some won't. Some don't believe, but they're in the church. And that is a danger. That's a danger for many, many people. They mistake attendance or ownership of Scripture, like I own a Bible, or a baptismal certificate as salvation as their ticket to heaven, and it's not true. That's, that's not what's happening here. Just because people are following Jesus around in great multitudes, standing on the sea, waiting to hear what he has to say or watch what he has to do, doesn't mean that they're believers or followers of Jesus. It just means they're attending. And that's a danger for anybody to fall into that category because you could sit in a pew or in a chair for years unsaved. If you don't understand that you must be born again, you have to be born again. It's a whole different deal. You have ears to hear. You have eyes to see. The, the physical things are the beginning. The, the basics of what Jesus claimed about himself are the beginning. After that, there is a spiritual understanding that needs to happen in a person's life that changes from just attendance and baptisms and the rituals and the, and the look of it to a heart change where they're searching out the deeper things of God, where they want to know more than, well, imagine you're looking for a bride or looking for a, a spouse of some kind. The first thing you notice is their physical appearance, usually. Nobody says, oh, I hear a melodic voice in the middle of that crowd. I'm going to find out who that is and, and marry that guy or gal, you know? No, you find them and you see them and you're attracted to them. But that's, a, that's not the attraction that gets you through hardships. It's not the attraction that will get you through life and what it has to offer you as a couple in marriage. 
Life will try to destroy you as a, as a couple. No, it's the deeper things. It's the, yeah, yeah, I'm attracted to you, but boy, I love your heart. And I want to know more about you. And I love not just your smile, but I love the thoughts that come out of your mouth. I love the way you speak, not, not your voice and tone, but I love the way you articulate your heart. And it goes deeper and deeper. And you begin to know that person more and more and you fall more in love with them. And as they get uglier and older, because <laughs> that is just kind of how it goes. Oh, they age well, right? We age well. Well, you know, <laughs> we get a little heavier or we get a little crow's feetier or whatever. Yeah. Hey, now. I wasn't looking at you. <laughs> you begin to remember and, and, and what keeps you going is the heart. And the affection for that person. Well, at first look, Jesus is amazing. I mean, he's healing people. He's giving out free food, five loaves and two fish. I mean, you can't ask for a better Messiah than someone who's going to meet your every need. He's going to meet your needs, you know. But Jesus didn't come to meet those needs. Those are being met for a different purpose. They're meant to accentuate his words, his heart for them. I'm here to demonstrate my love for you. I'm here to die on the cross, which we'll be celebrating this weekend. I'm here to show you my love for you, that I'm willing to give up my life for you. Who cares about the five loaves and the two fish, whether they can heal you? I'm here to take away your sin. I'm here to give you a hope of eternity with God. But that's not what is, is attracting people right now. What's attracting them are the, are the signs and the wonders and the and the excitement of it all. Be a part of the new thing, the new crowd, because when he goes to the cross, none of these people are with him. None of them. And so, he's speaking in parables, telling them about these things. He who has ears to hear, let him hear, because it's a very important message if you really want to know the deeper things. Now, some of these people are like, will you just hurry up and get to the fish? we got a guy with a withered hand over here. We've been waiting all day. Yeah, yeah, yada, yada, yada. Seeds, birds, roots, whatever. Heal the guy over here. Do, do a trick. But this is the most important thing. And he'll explain in verse 18, to the people who stick around and who want to know. To the people who stick around and want to know. Verse 10. And the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them and said, Because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For whoever has, to him more will be given, and he will have abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. It's a little mysterious, isn't it? Hmm. Well, to, to someone as you're first reading it, I, I think this is where some people get off base, is they think that God has just given some people the ability to understand, and some people just don't have the ability to understand. Too bad. You were chosen, you weren't. That's not what this means at all. That's a misinterpretation. That goes along with their doctrine. It makes them feel good about themselves. I understand. I must be chosen. It's not what he's saying. I think verse 12 is the key. Whoever has, to him more will be given, and whoever has a, he will have abundance, but whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. So everybody's got something, but not everybody uses that something 
And those that don't use that something get it taken away from them in the end, okay? If you turn to Romans chapter 12, verse 3, I think this gives us the best explanation of this. Paul writing to the Romans, the Gentiles, about their faith, saying, For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Everybody on the face of the earth has been given enough faith, faith of a mustard seed. If you had it, you could move mountains with it. Never understood that? Never get that? And to him who exercises that faith, if you go back to verse 12 of chapter 13 of Matthew, more is going to be given to you. When you use that faith that's God given, he's given everybody the ability to trust in him, everybody the ability to believe in him, but some exercise it and some don't. And for those that do, more will be given to them. For those that don't, even that faith in the end will be removed. Because you chose not to exercise it, you can. There's a person on the face of the earth that can't believe in Jesus Christ. Everybody can believe in Jesus Christ. It's whether they want to believe in Jesus Christ or not. But they choose to exercise that faith that he's given them. I'm doing this in parables, the mysteries of the kingdom of God. You guys are understanding this because you've exercised your faith. You're following me. You believe me. You're listening to what I have to say, and although you don't always get it right off the bat, if you stick around because you know this is where I'm supposed to be. I don't know why I'm supposed to be following you, Jesus. I just know that I will never stop following you, Jesus. And a lot of people don't understand that. And those are the people I worry about. I follow Jesus because there's no other place to go. There's no better place to be. I've never been let down. I'm never disappointed at the feet of Jesus, ever. Now, there are many things that I don't understand. I don't know how they connect. I don't understand the things of the world sometimes or what's going on or the the seasons that we're in or the, the times. I don't understand them, but I get this sense that whatever God brings my way that day is exactly what I'm supposed to do, and I don't know how it's all going to work out in the end, and I don't know how it affects eternity or my life, or anybody else's life, but I know that I'm going to do that thing today because that's what Jesus wants me to do. That's faith. I have no idea who's listening tonight in this crowd. I don't know if any of you are paying attention. If you're off wandering in your minds over here or there, it doesn't make any difference, and I don't need to know. What I need to do is do what I've been told to do tonight, and that's to teach this chapter to this group of people, regardless of who hears And those of you who mix it with faith will be blessed. Those of you who don't mix it with faith, you're not. There's nothing I can do about that, but I know that I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. Your only responsibility tonight is to hear God's word and to receive it with gladness, to mix it with faith, which means you believe it, and you'll be blessed. It's a word. That's what he says. These people have the same obligation There's a whole multitude listening to Jesus. They're more interested in, isn't that crazy how you can hear him on the boat down there? Yeah, but did you hear the parable of the sower? Yeah. But the boat, you know, oy vey, Levi, pay attention, man. So he says, I've been given this 
to you. I'm speaking in parables for your sake, because those who are mixing it with faith are understanding. Verse 13, therefore I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand, and in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled. Boy, if you're going to fulfill a prophecy about the Bible, this is not one you want to fulfill, but they're fulfilling it. This is forewarned. Hearing you will hear and shall not understand. And seeing you will see and not perceive. And here's why, and that this is important. It's personal and it's a decision they've made to not receive, to not believe, to not see, to not hear. They've chosen this. For the hearts of the people have grown dull. We allow our hearts to grow dull. They don't just get dull. We can't say, God, sharpen our hearts. No, that's up to us. We sharpen it. We pay attention. I can't seem to wake up. Well, do something about it. Wake up. That's up to you. Their ears, their heart of hearing, their eyes, they have closed. They're not blind. They've literally closed their eyes to the spiritual things of God. They just, hmm, I don't want to see. You ever have that moment? Maybe a Watch something, or you, you see, oh, I hate looking in the rearview mirror and hear it. You've seen the squirrel that you didn't see, you know? Has that ever happened to you? And you see it flopping around back there? I know it's a horrible example, but do you ever just go, mm, mm, I don't even want to know how long he's going to suffer. Maybe I should go back. No, I'm just going to keep going. Forget it. I don't want to think about it anymore. Positive, encouraging Cal- Calvary tonight. But you close your eyes to the truth. Jesus has given out the truth, and a lot of them are just like, mm, 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 mm. they close their eyes. And they close their eyes on purpose, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. That should remind us of when Jesus says, like Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And the example, of course, is if anybody looked at the serpent because they had faith in what God said about looking at the pole with the serpent on it, they'd be healed. And it says in the Old Testament, many of them were healed, which means there were others that weren't. There were actually people dying from these snake bites, and somebody told them, look to the pole, look to the pole. Uh, no, I don't believe it. That's stupid. It doesn't make sense to me. I don't comprehend it. I need someone to explain it to me. You have any scientific facts? Do you have? I don't have any of that. All I can tell you is the truth. God said to look to the pole and you'll be healed. Now, until I have proof. And they died. I'm all for apologetics, but those people waiting for us apologists to finally get it through to them that they should look to Jesus for the salvation of their souls? There's a lot of people that just want to look. They just want to know. Hey, God said that Jesus sent his son to die on the cross for your sins. You should believe in him. Okay, I do. And the intellectuals are like, what a bunch of doofuses. They don't even care how it works or why it works or whether it works or how come it works. What are the mechanics of this whole thing? I don't know, but they're going to heaven and you're not. 
They close their eyes on purpose, their heart of hearing on purpose, their hearts are dull on purpose, lest they should understand with their hearts in turn so that I should heal them. I don't want to be healed. If you read John chapter 3, the whole chapter past, verse 16, going to 17, 18, 19, and so on, it begins to explain that although Christ has died on the cross because he so loved the world that he gave his only son, we understand that, and that the whole world is condemned already, we understand that, but it says many don't come to him because they love their sin. I close my eyes to Jesus and the truth of the Bible, and I close my eyes to church and the fellowship of the believers because I want my sin in my life. You're telling me if I go there, if I read that, if I go to your church, I've got to stop sinning? That's who I am. We're seeing that more and more today. I, I know we can see it. We see it on the bumper stickers. We see it in the rallies. We see all the things happening around us all the time. We see the world diving into depravity because that's what they want. And you are a threat to that as a Christian. You're telling me I need this, and I'm telling you, you need to let me be who I am, which is my sin. It defines me. It's who I am. I will have nothing to do with this man. I will not have him rule over me. It's the same thing. They close their hearts off to what will save them. It's a choice. Verse 16, but blessed are your eyes, for they see in your ears, for they hear. For assuredly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. You guys don't know, he's saying to them, how amazing it is to live in the time that you're living the prophets, Isaiah, would write about this moment right here. And they're hoping it's going to happen in their lifetime, but they had no idea. It was like thousands of years later, hundreds of years later, that this is going to happen. You know, centuries are going to pass before what you wrote about is actually going to happen. But it doesn't mean their heart didn't want to be there. And he wants these fishermen and tax collectors and these guys to understand. Do you understand where you're sitting right now? Where all the greats, that I ever spoke to in the Old Testament, they wanted to be right here, right now, where you are. You understand that? Now, guys, for such a time as this, we've been born an amazing time. It's so hard out there. It's so hard. <laughs> this is exciting. This is what you train for. This is why we read. This is why we believe. This is what we're hoping for. Sam, you're teaching Revelation right now, I guess, in your, in your Bible study, and, and uh, Garrett was mentioning it and saying, I just, we need to be more like Philadelphia. I'm like, yeah. Good job, teacher. Good job, student. Way to listen. Because the times are short. It's getting to the place where it's very easy to see where out of seven churches, only two of them are recommended, and one of them is being martyred. And the other one just has a little bit of power. I mean... That's not good odds. But we live in a time like that right now where it is unacceptable um, that you are a Christian. It is unacceptable what you believe. It is unacceptable. And it is not going to get better. It will not get better. We're not going back to where it's normal. We're not going back to where most of the country believes what we used to believe. We're not going back there. We are headed to revelation. We are going to that place of a one-world government, to a one-world currency, to the rapture. We are going to a place that 
None of us would ever think that we're actually, and it's happening so rapidly. And isn't that how Revelation 1 starts off? When these things are going to happen, they're going to happen quickly. Oh, yeah. You know? And we thought, some people read Revelation 1 and thought, well, what he meant was, this is going to happen in John's time. Like, as soon as I'm done writing this, it's going to happen. He says, no, no, it's going to happen in quick succession, like labor pains. They start off about seven minutes apart, or ten minutes apart. I don't know. How far apart do they start? <laughs> Come on, late. <laughs> do you know, Jerry? Because none of the women are answering here. <laughs> we don't the uh, yeah. <laughs> and let me tell you, they come quick and hard and epidural. <laughs> and they can't come fast enough. They start off 10 minutes apart, and all of a sudden, bam, 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 these contractions hit, and it's like, oh, oh, oh that's not a Braxton Hicks. That's a real one, you know. Boom. Congratulations, Risa, by the way. <laughs> she had her baby today, or soon, anyway, recently. Anyway, I'm a little scattered tonight. All right, come back. Back. Guys, we're living in the day that many of these prophets, many of the Old Testament, all these things are I mean, they're happening. It's exciting. Now, what kind of person am I going to be in those times? Am I going to be a coward? Am I going to be milquetoast, spineless, you know? Or am I going to be bold, you know? Am I going to, am I going to stand up? Am I going to, I don't know, am I going to be a church of Philadelphia? It's exciting. So he's saying your timing is excellent. The first guys, it's a choice whether you hear, you guys, you were born to be my disciples, and you're going to start a church in the book of Acts, which you don't know yet, but you're going to, you know, filled with the Spirit. It's going to be amazing. Now, a couple of things. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 2, he says this, For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it, which goes along with what we were talking about earlier about it, that measure of faith. It needs to be mixed with faith. It's a very simple thing. It's not a comp. When, when Jesus says something, you believe it. It's not, well, how do I get more faith? Or how do I have the faith to understand? Or how do I, you know, there's no, there's no headiness to it. It's no, Jesus said it and I believe it. It's not any deeper than that. I don't have to fully understand it. I just have to believe what he said. And as I believe and I walk in that belief and I walk in the ways of Jesus, I begin to understand it more. The depth of my understanding now, uh, 30 years later from being born again, from my start, my walk with Jesus, is so much better. But my faith, I mean, it's grown, I guess, in different ways. But I had like crazy faith when I first got saved. Just radical, radical transformation in my life. Um, in, in the sense that I trusted God, I, under, I believed God, I, I, I didn't understand a thing about God, but I just believed him, everything I read. I just absorbed like a sponge and went for it, everything. I jumped and figured out whether the shoot worked or not. You know, that's how I was, always, always, always. And as I've grown older in the Lord, 30 years later, and I've taught the Bible several times, um, I understand him and his heart better now than I ever did before. It's just natural obviously, because I mix it with faith. It's just a habit. You just believe him. I just believe him. Who else am I going to believe? In Matthew 8, verse 13, 
We read it earlier, a few weeks ago. Then Jesus said to the centurion, go your way as you have believed, so let it be done for you. And his servant was healed that same hour. Now, he had no way of knowing whether the servant was going to be healed, except that Jesus' words said that if I believed, he'd be healed. And so he must have believed, because the evidence is the fact that the guy got healed. Okay? Obviously. 1 Corinthians 2. It's a long one. It's a whole chapter, but I'll try to condense it. Paul is writing to the Corinthian church, trying to help them to understand spiritual things. And they were the most spirit-filled church in the Bible, by the way, but didn't understand the things of the Spirit. And so he begins to explain to them, and we need to know this. This is the difference. This is one of those examples where there's understanding the flesh kind of stuff about Jesus and the basics and the attraction and what he can do for you and what he's done for other people. And then there's the depth of heart, which is the spiritual things, and he hits on that. And I, brethren, when I came to you, Paul said, did did not come with excellence of speech or with wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Very simple message. I was with you in weakness and fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Simple message, but believed and followed up with great power from God in his life. He didn't talk him into it. He showed it. However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. We're not talking about this stuff down here on earth. We're talking about things much higher. But we speak of the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages of our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew, For had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, eye is not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. That doesn't mean he doesn't want to share those things with us. It means it just hasn't entered their hearts. They've closed their ears, they've closed their eyes. I want to reveal this to you. But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God, not the superficial that these multitudes are looking at Jesus now. For what man knows the things of the for what man knows the things of man except the Spirit of man which is in him? Question. Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. So if you want to know God better, you have to listen to the Spirit of God. He's got to be the one to teach you all these deeper things. You've got to be filled with the Spirit. Now, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. So that verse that we read earlier about no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, you understand we're not supposed to use that now as spirit-filled believers? That's meant for they don't hear because they don't have the spirit of God. But he has revealed them and wants to reveal them to us who have the Spirit of God. And so it's up to me. How much about God do I want to know? I can know as much about Him as I want to. I can be as close to Him as I want to be to Him. I simply need to listen to Him and let the Spirit of God teach me these things and reveal these things to me because they're freely given to us. There's no hoops to jump through. There's no knees to crawl on. There's no steps to climb. There's no sea to swim. You know? Oh, I think about some of the folks that had that basic 
spiritless relationship with God. It was more religion. They, they wanted more, but they thought it was through the physical by hurting their knees. By Mar- I just remember Mother Teresa crawling on her knees around the statue, just trying to be, make herself worthy to receive. Oh, and that's where Martin Luther got his revelation. He was climbing up on his knees. The just shall live by faith. It just set him free. I don't need to be climbing these stairs on my knees. The just live by faith. Oh, what a burden. And then all of a sudden, the things of the Spirit, the things of God that only the Spirit knows begin freely given to him. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. The carnal person, the person who only looks at the superficial side of Jesus Christ and have never given their heart to him, never believed him, never mixed his word with faith, they can't understand these things. They're spiritually discerned. You've got to have the Spirit. But... He who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. It's a huge thing. We don't have enough time to teach on all of that right there, but that chapter alone is just eye-opening to the Corinthians. Oh, oh. Paul's like, go deeper, man. John chapter 3, verse 12, speaking to Nicodemus, having a conversation to him, talking to him about some of the basics of the faith, because that's where you have to start with someone like Nick. You slowly work him into it. And all of a sudden, as he's explaining some of the mechanics of it and some of the basics of it, Nicodemus says, how am I supposed to climb into my mother's womb again? How can he be born again? Have you not read... You want to know the spiritual things. Verse 12 says, If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? You want to know about heavenly things? I can't even get you to believe the earthly things yet. Let's get there first. Once you mix what I've just told you with faith, believe it, and then we can move on to these other things. These people don't want to hear, but they can. Now, the disciples... Make no mistake about it. They're like, how come you're teaching everybody in parables? These guys over here, they don't get it either. They don't understand it. They often miss the boat. As the parables given, they're going, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, you know. They don't know. And I've done that in the scriptures too. I'm like, that's highly significant, you know. No idea what he said. Dear God, help me. Help me understand this. So as he says this to these guys, because they've asked him after the crowds are, how come you're talking to him in parables? Because I, they don't have ears to hear. And I, I, it's for you guys. You guys are getting it. Verse 18. Therefore, hear the parable of the sower. Let me explain it to you, he says. Now, why is he explaining it to them? Because they stuck around. They believed him. They believed what he had to say. They didn't understand it, but they believed him. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who received the, uh, the seed by the wayside. They heard it, but they didn't understand it. They didn't believe it. They didn't apply it. They lost it. 
But he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulations or persecutions arise because of the word, immediately he stumbles. That's the guy that's on the rocky soil, the gal that's on the rocky soil. Yeah, 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 that's great, that's great. Yeah, and then something hard happens in their life, and oh yeah, whatever. Now, he who received the seed among the thorns is he who hears the word, and the cares of the world, and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becomes unfruitful. I think that's one of our biggest problems. I think that's what causes the church to be so weak, powerless. It's because you can collect a lot of Bible studies in your life, and you can hear a lot of words, and you can read the Bible a lot, and have a lot of good, quiet times. But if you don't get rid of the weeds in your life around you, they're going to choke things out. They just do. Weeds in a garden, they just, they compete. They compete for the things you really want to grow in there. And that's why we weed a garden. And that's why I hate weeding gardens is because the weeds don't ever stop coming. It's like, how many times do I have to get rid of the weeds? Where are these seeds coming from? Why are they happening? I've gone through this row 12 times. And for some reason, these things keep popping up. But you have to be diligent and keep weeding that garden. And you will reap fruit in the end if you do that. If you don't, you might have some, but not a lot of fruit. Because those weeds are competing for nutrients, they're competing for sunlight, they're competing for water, and they're stealing it from the actual fruit that you want to have in your life, from the plants that are going to produce that. And that's the Word of God. I have a great Bible study tonight. Oh, it's just so great. God really spoke to my heart last night. I'm just going to relax and watch three hours. I mean, he went a little long. Pastor went a little long tonight. It was an hour. <laughs> you know? And then you sit home and binge watch for three hours of TV. Well, what do you think is going to grow in your life? One hour of boring Bible that you couldn't wait for the guy to stop talking, and then three hours of friends, or I don't know what you watch, you know, The Office, or something, you know? I can't figure out why I'm not growing. Why is my spiritual life so dead? I don't hear from God anymore. What is it that I'm doing? Weed. Weed. You've got a weed. Oh, they didn't. And it choked it out. But this is 25% of all the seed that was sown. But he who received the seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold and some 16, some 30. 25%. That's a horrible ratio. I'm, I'm going to say it. That's a horrible ratio. What farmer buys you know, four times the amount of seed that he needs for his crops? Well, only 25 of it's going to germinate. Produce any fruit. You don't make any money that way. You never will. No. What does a farmer do, though? Prepares his field. Prepares his field to receive that seed. To receive the implanted word of God for it to bear fruit in your lives. We can do a lot of prep to our hearts. That's why showing up on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday evening unprepared, is, it's very hard to receive. It takes, well, that's why we do the singing first. 
to kind of get the world out of our minds, to kind of get us singing and praising God and to let the things of this world grow strangely dim so that when the Word of God is taught or, or, or at least read, we can receive that Word of God into our hearts and then bear fruit in our lives. It's so important. 25%. I'm going to do one more parable and then we'll, we'll close for the night. We'll only get halfway through. Another parable he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men, while, while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servant or the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, uh, did, you, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? And these are like weeds that look just like it. Okay, so like a, there's wheat and there's something that looks just like wheat. I used to know the name of it, but I've forgotten. But anyway, it looks just like the wheat. It's real similar. You can't really tell the difference unless you look close. Well, that's what's happened. But you can spot it if you look. He said to them, an enemy's done this. The servant said to him, do you want us to go and gather them up? He said, no. Lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot um, the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather together the tares and bind them in bundles and burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Hmm. This is different. We've been talking about seeds, so you kind of got seeds in the mind. So is the word of God uh, the wheat and is bad words the tares? No. He, he later on explains it again, um, and he goes in verse 37, which we won't get to tonight. We just don't have time. But he explains it to him this way. No, those are people. The wheat are people now. He's switching gears. The wheat are people. They're the believers in the world. But there's also, amongst those believers, tares. They're fake. They're fake. They look like believers, but there's no fruit. There's no nutritional value. There's nothing to them. And in the end, when we harvest, we're going to get rid of the tares and burn. They go to hell is the idea. And we'll gather the wheat and put them in the barn so they go to heaven. But we're not going to do that until the end. And so God says specifically here, Jesus says specifically, we're going to let these things grow up together. I'm not interested in stopping the tares. They're just, just how it is. In a crowd this size, it's hard to believe that there aren't a few tares sitting here. There just are. You know, I hope not. I pray not. But what do you do? Do we try to find out who's a believer and who isn't a believer? Do we have a test? Do we have a, you know, no. God just says, let them sit there. It's up to them if they sit there. Now, I don't want to leave you with that because that says, well, gee whiz, I hope I'm not a tear. You know, kind of thing. If you're wondering if you're a tear, you're not a tear. Okay, so that's it. If you're, if you're like, I don't care if I'm a tear, I want to get out of here, you might be a tear. You know, kind of thing. So... <laughs> I'm going to leave it at that. I'm not going to go too long because then you're all going to say, I wish you'd stop talking. Then you're all tears and then I've blown my thing here. So we'll finish this next week. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your heart for the people, your willingness to teach and those who have ears to hear can hear. Uh, if they mix it with faith, they can believe. If they have eyes to see that aren't shut on purpose, they can see it. God, we want to be those people. We live in amazing, extraordinary times right now. Um, and I'm, I'm, maybe every generation has said that. I don't know, but it just feels super weird right now, Lord. And um, 
I'm excited for it. I'm excited for John McBride standing up there and being brought before the magistrates. You know, I just pray your Holy Spirit would give him the words to speak like you promised by your Holy Spirit. Um, I thank you for him and his wife and, and his stand. Um, Lord, I pray that we'd all stand, that we would all be yours and your ambassadors here on earth, that we'd be standing out, bright lights, very salty. Um, that's our heart. That's what we want. Help us to be that, Lord. Bless these folks as they go tonight. Bless the kids. Uh, keep your word planted in their hearts and in ours. Bless the teachers who took the time to prepare a lesson and to share your love and your word with those little ones of ours. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a good night. If you need any prayer before you go, please uh, come on up. We'd be glad to pray with you.